Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. We are going into Romans chapter 6, and especially even after last week, we have such good news for this week. Um, We have a very practical message, and it builds off of what Paul has been talking to us about. Now, let's make sure we get this. Paul has been dealing with us so far in the Roman church throughout chapter 5 on this principle of justification. Especially in 4 and 5, he's just hammering this theme of justification, justification, justification. And justification means being set free, that, that we have been declared free by God. And so last week, again, what Paul did was he contrasted Adam and Christ. He contrasted these two figures, making sure we understand that Adam brought sin into the world, and death followed sin, and then in just infected mankind But then we take a look, on the other hand, at Jesus, who brought us righteousness, which is rightness with God. Jesus brought justification, again, freedom, and He also brought life for everyone who believes. And so the challenge at the end of the sermon last week was for us to be in Christ as Christians and not be in Adam. But that kind of can raise the question, which is, well, Paul, how exactly do we do this? I mean, you know, just kind of, kind of, kind of screwing ourselves up into a, you know, kind of the striving place of, okay, I'm just going to be good from now on. It doesn't work very long. So Paul here in chapter 6 gives us very practical steps, how we can take that journey out of Adam into Christ. And the way he does this is he introduces a new term to us today, okay? So are you ready for a new theological term today? All right, a new theological reality, a word, beautiful word called sanctification as we go forward. Now, we all, I think, know what sanctification means. Sanctification has to do with holiness. Very little applause when we introduce the word holiness. Now, why? Now, nobody's against holiness, first of all. But holiness, it, it kind of shakes you to your bones. You know, when, when I hear about sanctification and being holy, what I think about is, is I think about being perfect, you know? Because God is holy, right? God is fully sanctified. He's holy. And so for us, we hear that and we think, well, golly, you know, this, this just, you know, sanctification, I've got to be perfect from here on out. Is there anybody in the room who wants to claim to have arrived at holiness? It, it just, it, it, it kind of shakes us a little bit. You know, it kind of raises the condemnation meter for us, you know, and, the, and all of that. So the question is, how do we do this? How can we really live as a holy people in the world that we live in? surrounded by all the stimuli that comes out at us, you know? I mean, with with this whole thing of sin, let's be honest. You know, when it comes to sin and holiness, sin is just so sneaky, isn't it? Does anybody agree with that? Sin is subtle. And and I think if we want to be fully honest here, you know, sin sin is also tempting to us. It's kind of tasty from time to time. You know, as, as 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says... Sin is just so common to mankind. In other words, it's so mutual. It's it's so everyday, as the song says, Lord, we're we're so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Even as a Christian, I mean, this is a tough one. So practically speaking, how do we step out of Adam and into Christ? God, how, how how do we get holy? And today I can help settle your nerves a little bit on this score 
by telling you the word sanctification doesn't mean, okay, Pete, you be holy at this moment. Sanctification is actually speaking to process, all right? Sanctification is the journey that we take toward holiness. It's about movement towards it. It is about God every day of our lives setting us apart, waking us up, cleaning us every day. And believe it or not, it's not a rocket science. It's not rocket surgery. It's not brain surgery. It's not hard. Listen to what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14, and then verse 18. Beautiful words, and we'll dive through this together. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but you are under grace. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this rich, practical, open door into holiness, into sanctification, Lord, into becoming more and more like you. And so, Father, even as we hear your words today, I pray that they would find root in our minds. Lord, they would travel down into our hearts, and God, they would make themselves out, just work their way out into how we live. Father God, in the, in the proclamation and the living out of this message, Jesus be glorified. Holy Spirit, have your way in the name of Jesus. All right, so here's what Paul is doing here. Um, Paul is actually adding to our understanding of grace. Now, so far in Romans, we have learned that grace uh, is, is all about justification. It's about getting set free. But grace doesn't stop there. Grace is also about sanctification, okay? And that is us being delivered from sin, or the process of us being delivered from sin. And Paul specifically here tells us how to step into holiness, because this is really important, okay? God offers holiness, all right? When he says, be holy, God is offering it to us. 
But we all, every human being, every Christian, we have a responsibility to take steps of holiness, okay? So holiness is not completely on God. Now, it completely comes from Him. He is completely holy, but we got to step into it. We have to walk into it. And so what Paul does here is he gives us three steps that every single one of us can take. Um, I'm not a big uh, three-point uh, three sermon person, but today I have to do it because this is what Paul is doing. But again, this is practical. This is doable. You're going to be able to get this, and I think it's really going to encourage you. Paul tells us three things. Holiness for us, it, it is about knowledge, okay? It is about reckoning, and it is about yielding. So let's start with the first one he gives us here. Um, part start, uh, Paul starts off with knowing, okay? Now, he asks a question to begin chapter 6, and he answers the question. The question again is, shall we, the church of Jesus Christ, shall we as Christians, shall we go on sinning? Shall we continue to sin as we always have? And the answer, of course, from him is an emphatic, no way. And so, Paul says, okay, if, if that is your desire, if that is your answer to the question, then the very first thing we do is we got to know. In other words, we, we've got to refuse to be ignorant any longer. And again, this isn't the ignorant you used to hear on the school grounds. You know, you're just ignorant. It's not that. It just means we've got we've to stop having a lack of knowledge and understanding about the way things really are uh, for us spiritually. So in verses 2 and 3, and six and seven, Paul gives us one thing that we really, really need to know. This needs to be imprinted on our minds. This needs to be at the front of our thinking. And this first thing is that everyone who has been baptized into Jesus Christ, every one of us who have been baptized into Christ, we have died to sin and we are set free from our former slavery. Every Christian we got to know that. This is knowledge we cannot live without, okay? It's glorious. But we got to be really clear on what Paul means about us being dead to sin. Now, some people teach this. You, you, hopefully, you haven't heard too much of this. But I heard this when I was growing up. Um, it, I, I visited a church, and I heard this, that uh, Christians being dead to sin means for us that we are like a corpse, when it comes to sin, you know, as a corpse is dead. Um, if, if we could lay one out here, and we would not do that today, but if we had a corpse before us, one thing that is true about a corpse is it cannot respond to any external stimuli. A corpse cannot interact with the world at all. It can't hear, it can't smell, it can't see. And so, so I heard this preacher say, we are dead like that to sin now. Our fallen nature is dead with Christ. The Word says that's how we are when it comes to sin. There is a big problem with that theology, and here's the problem. It doesn't square with Scripture. It also doesn't square with life experience as a Christian. Now, let me just show you this in, in the Word. In verse 12 here, Paul says, don't let sin reign in you, and don't obey its evil desires. In verse 13, we just read it, he says, hey, don't offer yourselves to sin any longer. Hebrews 12, 4 says this, brothers and sisters, in your struggle against sin. And then, of course, we've got the Master. We've got the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords Jesus in Matthew 18, who tells us how to deal with a brother or a sister who sins against us. So, if sin is absolutely not in play for the church of Jesus Christ, because we're 100% dead to it, 
uh, Paul and Jesus have it wrong. And, but they don't. They don't. So what is Paul talking about with this phrase? Here's what he means, okay? Just as justification is a legal term, right? In the court of heaven, we are justified by God the judge. Okay, he says, boom, you are free. You are, we are declared legally, spiritually free because of Jesus Christ. The same thing applies to uh, sanctification. It is also a legal term. You and I are not under the penalty, the death sentence of sin any longer. Now, does that mean we'll never struggle again? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that we will never fall again? No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means is that spiritually speaking, sin and death and condemnation, those are no longer the labels across your heart. And we could say, well, why is that? You know, why is that when we sin from time to time? You know, we, we struggle. Listen, it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's simply because of what Jesus Christ did for us. This is how big that work is. I love the way Stott puts it, John Stott. He says, Christ bore sin's condemnation. Christ met sin's claim. Christ paid sin's penalty. He accepted its reward. He did it once and for all, so sin has no more claim on him. So when it comes to Jesus Christ, would anybody argue that, you know, Jesus, Jesus is having a sin problem? Absolutely not. He's completely sin-free. He's, he, he's sanctified. He's holy in every way. Well, the point is, now that you and I are in Christ, now that you and I are united with Jesus Christ, we share the same benefit because of what he did. That's how big the cross is. That's how big the empty tomb, this is what it means for you and I. Paul is saying, look, this is information you cannot live without. Sin has no legal claim on you as a child of God. In, in, in the strictest spiritual sense, you are considered dead to it. And you know what reminds us of that? The sacraments. You know, we, we actually celebrate this in the sacraments. What happens in baptism? First thing, we go under the water. Now, why in the world do we go under the water? Because we are symbolizing, we are proclaiming, we are demonstrating our death to sin, that the old person really has been done away with. Communion, we'll celebrate it this morning. You know, have you ever noticed Paul says, uh, you know, when he gives us his instructions on communion, he says, hey, we are coming together to celebrate the Lord's death. Have you ever heard that and going, golly, that, that just feels morbid, you know? I mean, celebrating the death of someone. He's our Lord. I mean, I, I don't want to revel in, in, you know, in his death, but what Paul is doing is saying, look, when you celebrate his death, you celebrate your own, what he's done for us. And the, sacrament, the sacraments remind us of that. They make the point that in Christ, we are legally dead to sin, our former self, our old, our old self, who we used to be, it has been crucified in Jesus Christ. And so for us, when it comes to holiness, the prison door has really been opened. It is possible for us as believers to walk out of the door. And that's the reason for Paul's question at the top of the chapter, you know, so in light of this, with this knowledge that we have died in Christ, shall we go on sinning? Oh, by no means. Absolutely not. So, you know, there's, there's a reason for this. So, first of all, we start off with that one piece of knowledge 
that we, are, we, we, we have died with Christ to sin. But second, the flip side of that, verses 4 and 5 and 8 through 10, the second piece of information is, and now we live forever because we are in Christ. We are resurrected beings. You know, we will live with God forever in heaven. But you know, as you study the Word of God, you realize, wait, eternal life doesn't begin when this life ends. Eternal life began, begun the moment I said yes to Jesus Christ. John 17, 3, I'm already walking in it. Second uh, Corinthians points this out. Uh, Five seventeen. if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Romans 6, 4, Jesus was raised from the dead so we may live a new life today. And again, the sacraments point us to this same truth. You know, in baptism, uh, after we go into the water, does anything else happen? Please say yes or, or none of us are here, right? We, yeah, yeah, I know. That we, we come out of the water. What does that symbolize? New life in Christ. That I'm free. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. Even at com- the Lord's Supper is called communion. It is unity with Christ because as we celebrate His death, we also rejoice in His life and the life we have in it. So look, Paul is saying here very clearly to the church, holiness begins with knowledge. And by the way, have you ever tried to be holy without knowledge? Oh, it's tough. You know, well, I'm just going to be holy. Paul says, no, 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 no. Start with knowledge. It begins there. You get this knowledge of what he has done and who you are. You start here with these two truths, and you understand that spiritually, death is in your rearview mirror as a believer. It is, spiritually, living that way, knowing that death is in my rearview mirror, and before me and all around me is life. So we start with knowledge. Okay. Uh, now that we've got knowledge down, let's move on to the second principle here, which is reckoning. And reckoning is fun. And I'm going to go retro with you on reckoning. So I'm just going to go ahead and warn balcony people. We're going back in time here a little bit. Um, you'll probably figure out what reckoning is before I even explain it. But let me tell you how Paul says this in Scripture. Okay, we'll look at here are three different translations. In verse 11, Paul says to count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. In the NLT, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And in the King James, and some of us still love the King James, uh, the King James says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, on the surface, has Paul really said anything different? I mean, is there really any difference between knowing and reckoning? There is a great big difference between knowing and reckoning because by know, what Paul is saying, look, when I want you to know this, he's saying, I want you to get these facts, and I want you to get them in here. I want these in your head. But by reckoning, what he's talking about is now take those facts, and let's go ahead and move those down into your heart. Because, you know, we can know a lot of things, and they not be true for us. I mean, there's a lot of information every single one of us has about a lot of different things. They don't mean a whole lot. They're not real in life. Well, reckoning is when we take the Word of God and we pull it down into our hearts, and it becomes our truth. It becomes our song. It becomes our confession. And, and so the words that go along with this is, look, take this truth and consider it, count it, reckon it, but also flip it over and look at it, ponder it meditate on it, 
And folks, what he's saying is, look, you get this alive in your heart. Henri Nouwen says this, a life not well reflected on is not well lived. It's true of the Word of God too. The Word of God not, God not well reflected on is not going to be well lived. So we move this in our hearts, and you know what happens when something becomes real big in your hearts? It, it, it finds its way out of you. You know how it finds its way out of you? Right here. Right here from your mouth. What, from, from, uh, from the heart the mouth speaks? Sometimes people wonder, they say, you know, I have no idea what I believe about anything. Well, here's all you got to do to find out. Listen to what you say. Listen to what you confess. Listen to what you say about your circumstances. From our heart, we declare. And that's what happens in reckoning. Um, So Paul is saying, look, stop and really consider what God has done. Take, I'm, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God and move it down here. So your heart's focus becomes the cross and the empty tomb. And then let that come out of your lips and become your stone-cold confession and belief. Hear yourself beginning to say, you know what, in Christ, I am not who I used to be. You know, when it comes to sin, I'm a has-been. I mean, let that kind of stuff come out. I I am alive in a whole new way. And it will, says Paul, bring us to a new heart place where we actually want to have nothing to do with sin. Now, that sounds incredible, doesn't it? I mean, but sin actually begins to, ugh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that. I don't want to taste that ever again. And I know we can hear that and go, well, okay, Steve, well, well you know, I, I think I'm sort of getting it, but could you give me an example? And I can give you an example. Before I give you this example, I need to acknowledge my parents who are in the room who will not be embarrassed by this example, even though it involves you, Lovey and Pops. But here we go. Um, I remember back in the 70s and 80s, so that dates me, okay? I remember in the 70s and 80s, my parents had, uh, we, we had, we had lived our life in a denominational church, and it was a good church. They valued the word. Um, it is a bit uptight, you know, very works-driven. And so a little thing happened to my parents called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and my, my parents got filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went and they joined this other church, and this church had been labeled in town as the weird little church. So my parents are going to this church, and these people, I've never seen Christians like this. I mean, you know, when it comes to worship, they're, they're like the crew down here and y'all out there. I mean, they're moving, they're jumping, they're rejoicing, they're singing about being green olive trees in the house of the Lord, and it was really shocking for me. I just remember, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this kind of faith. But, but a big part, one of the things that really struck me about that movement and about the sweet church that we were in and those believers is they made a return back to something that has been lost, okay? It, 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 I think, you know, we try to recapture it, but it's really been lost from ancient Christianity, and it's a thing called biblical confession, all right, on the part of God's people. Now, I am not talking about name it and claim it, but what I mean is this is a group of people, they would just declare the Word of God all the time out loud. I never saw that before. And so so I've got a few examples here. I remember hearing my mother, you know, from time to time, something would rise up and she would go, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And my mother has a British accent, so you talk about authority. The authority was there. I mean, I just remember thinking, man, the devil's got to be shaken. He just got rebuked in British, you know. But, but I remember hearing this and just the profundity of that, the strength of that, you know. The, the, you know, these Christians from time to time would say things like, you know, right now we cast down vain imaginations and everything that exalts itself above the, uh, above the knowledge of God. 
I remember hearing them say things like, Lord, we stand with you on your word. We stand with what you say, who you are, who you say we were, who, who we are. Lord, we are not the, we, we are, are the head, we're not the tail. And that's this idea of biblical reckoning. You know, th- th- this is reckoning in motion. It's more than just a bunch of facts in our head, but it really is the word of God in our hearts and coming out of our mouths. Not just the word here, but the word, the, the word here in our hearts. Here, here's another neat thing. Somebody before the service walked up and gave me something. This is biblical reckoning. And they said, hey, Steve, I have an idea. Listen to this. Um, okay, uh, getting into it. How about a walk around the property? Any and all who want to join in claiming the Joshua, the Joshua 130, any place our foot touches belongs to the Lord. That, that, that's reckoning. You know, it, it's more than just static information, but it's the Word of God going ballistic, right? Like a, like a bullet and being put into action. Um, okay, so anyway, I could get really hung up here because I get excited about the charismatic renewal. So anyway, you, sanctification, amen. Oh, and it's just a taste of what I hope is coming. I believe is coming in Jesus' name. Okay, so we've got sanctification is about knowing. It's about reckoning. And then finally, American church, okay, every one of us who are Americans, it is about yielding. Holiness is about yielding to the Lord. Now, Paul tells us how to do this very practically in verses 12 and 13a. Paul says, do not offer any part of ourselves to sin as an instrument of evil, okay? Again, it is very important when it comes to saying, I'm going to say no to sin anymore, you got to have the knowledge first, and you got to be a person who is reckoning, okay? Makes a big difference in the battle against sin. Try and defeat sin in your own flesh, your own will, good luck with that. But having reckoned, having, having known here, Paul says now, don't offer any part of yourselves to sin or wickedness. Translation, when it comes to sin, don't touch it. Don't taste it. Don't listen to it. Don't walk in it. Instead, in full knowledge and full reckoning, as a child of God, being made holy, we can actually rise up in rebellion against sin. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, where first I was like, ooh, I'm a little spooked by holiness. I don't know if I can pull this up. I hear this. I start to get excited. We can rise up in rebellion. We can actually say no as the people of God. We can flee. As a Christian, nobody else on the planet can do this. We actually can. And Paul says, here is the best way to do that. Again, the flip side, verse 13b, instead, offer your bodies to God as instruments of righteousness. In other words, the best defense against the dark arts, yes, I just squeezed a movie reference in there for the few of you who are left in, the best defense Against the dark arts, the kingdom of Satan is simply to surrender to the Lord. It is to surrender to God and say, Lord, I'm going to live for you. And so when it comes to something like worship, you know, that really revolutionizes worship. I mean, in worship, I have the opportunity to sing songs or I have the opportunity to taste and touch and swim around in and breathe in the kingdom of God. 
You know, when it comes to devotions, you know, when, when, when we're going this way, you know, what? when it comes to devotions, we're just not trying to get the, the verse of the day and kind of walking away into the day like, you know, a guy who looks at himself in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. And, in, instead, we walk away and we're like, Lord, I want to live this thing today. God, I'm excited about your commands. Father, I want to say yes to you every single way I can. And when it comes to other people, holiness is just such a great invitation to step in to the greatest commandment right? The, the, and the, the great commission to love, to serve, to bless, to proclaim Christ. And Paul says, you know, now all of this is actually possible for us. It's all possible for us now to, be, to have that relationship, you know, set apart from sin and alive to God to be holy because we are God's slaves now. Gulp, verses 15 through 23. We are as slaves to God. What in the world can Paul mean by slaves to God? You talk about a word that is just as black and, and just as horrible as it can be in our society. It's that word. But here is the idea behind slavery to God, according to, to Paul here. Um, it, it, he's looking back a bit here to Jesus in Luke sixteen thirteen, when Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Jesus says, you know, you can't. You'll either love one, hate the other, you'll be devoted to one, and, you, or, and you'll despise the other. And Jesus said that for a reason. And he said that because as human beings, as humanity, we are all slaves. Every human being on this planet is a slave. The truth is we are either enslaved to Satan or we in, are enslaved uh, to God. You know Satan's reign brings death, emptiness, heaviness. We can be in chains to that. Jesus' reign brings life, an easy yoke, a light burden, peace, hope, freedom, grace, everything we've been talking about. In truth, we are either enslaved to one kingdom or the other. We can be in sin. You know, we can be in Adam like that. You know, we can be just a rag doll surrendered to, to sin, or we can be in Christ, surrendered, enslaved, and yet living and free and raised up as an eternal being in God. And again, still, I know this word slavery, it sounds so weird to us. You know, we, we, we hear slavery when we think of the, uh, the Israelites in Egypt, you know, starved, beaten, worked to death, captives. We, we, we think of U.S. colonial slavery, which is a horrible blight on our history. But so what is Paul talking about? He must be talking about a different kind of slavery, and believe it or not, he is. Um, back in the New Testament world, back in the ancient Near East, there was another form of slavery, and it was volunteer slavery. Now, here's, here's how volunteer slavery worked. Um, when a person was destitute and impoverished and they're just going to starve to death, they could go to someone and they could volunteer to be a slave. Um, what they would do is they would try to find a fair, reputable, generous, kind, beneficial person, and they would offer themselves to them, and they would say, you know what, I will be your slave if you will have me. And, and if the person said yes, that destitute, impoverished person, they would walk away from their impoverished life. Now, the truth is, they still had to obey their master, but it was such a better life. It involved so much more freedom. 
Paul is pointing to that example of slavery, and he's saying, look, you take that principle, and you jack that thing up on steroids, okay? And you have the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the lordship of Jesus Christ. We were impoverished and destitute in sin. Jesus Christ comes. We are slaves either here or there. We go, we receive him as Lord. We say, I will follow you all the days of my life. I will obey you. Your reign, your will is now, is my command, Lord. And, and I know in America, listen, in America, that, that doesn't sell very well. You know, I mean, we like grace, we like freedom, we like independence, you know. No one's going to be the boss of me. You know, I'm pulled up by my own bootstraps, and, you know, I'm large and in charge. And, but listen, the lordship of Jesus Christ is everything for you and I in the Christian life. And what I want to tell you as, as your pastor and as a guy who wrestles with this myself, holiness is not the American watered-down version of holiness, which is, I am free now to be the very best me I can be. That is garbage, you know? Now, in Christ, you're going to become a whole lot better, better than you were, but, but it's not just kind of this, this strange, twisted, overly graced happiness, you know, is the target thing, but holiness instead is when we know what God has said. We reckon the Word of God, and we surrender to Jesus Christ. And out of that place, we say, you know what? I am free indeed now. I am free to serve the God of heaven. I, I, I am free to walk in the ways of God. I am free to say yes to everything God commands. I, and, and I choose, I choose to be a slave of righteousness. This kind of slavery that Paul talks about, this holiness that he talks about, it leaves us in a place at the end of the day where we say, Lord, although I am now your slave, I have never been more alive, free, fulfilled, and clean than I am right now. This is holiness. Paul's great invitation to us in Romans chapter 6. So I'll end the way I started. Church, shall we go on sinning? No. So, Holy Spirit, before we take communion this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask you, we just ask you to register these deep truths that we are dead to sin and we are alive in Jesus Christ. Lord, would you register these on our minds? God, would you imprint your word on us? And Father, there's so much more truth that we need. But I thank you that part of this faith, a very rich part of this faith, is knowing. And so, God, for every mind that is a battlefield, Lord, I ask you to just, I just speak peace over those minds right now. Lord, uh, in any mind that has been damaged by offense and anger, Lord, even wounding from the past of other people, Lord, I ask you to just heal our minds. Father, I ask that you would just take, make our minds, as it relates to the Word of God, like fertile ground that just receive the seed of God's Word. And Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, also to just help us to begin to reckon. I thank you that the Word of God is meant to be spoken. Oh, Lord God, that, that, that our tongues are like a rudder that steer a great ship. Lord, I pray that the Word of God, there would just be a great reckoning within us where we would meditate and ponder and, and just delight. Lord, we'd be like, like the Psalm 1 man who just, just sits and knows the Word of God and that your Word would make its way out into our lips. Lord, into the members of our body, and that we would be able to surrender to you.
Father, I thank you that, that you call us slaves. You call us servants. And Father, we want to be that. To the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, to be able to be bidden and used, sent forth, set apart. Father, I thank you that as we pray for revival and great things, great things that are coming, Father, I thank you that it is through a holy people that you will pour out the, the, just the power of your Holy Spirit and redeem a community and redeem families. So, Lord, would you cleanse us? And I thank you that today this sermon falls right on a communion Sunday. Be glorified, Jesus, as we partake of you together. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.